All right, well, welcome to Faith Church. Glad you are here today. Uh, my name is Matthew, one of the pastors, and it's a, always a joy to have you in the house of the Lord and uh, study some scripture together. If you would, pull out your Bibles. Uh, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is where we want to go today. Uh, if you want to follow along digitally, there's a QR code on the screen. You can scan with your phone and and I'll help you uh, follow along, see some sermon notes, that sort of a thing. But if you've got your Bibles, join me, Acts chapter 4. If you've got your Fresh Start Bible, uh, we're on page 952. 952. We've been, uh, over the last several weeks, beginning a process of going through this book of Acts, seeing uh, how the church began to live out the mission of Jesus. And one of the things um, that we see is that the early church was full of common people who developed and cultivated uncommon devotion to Jesus as both Lord and Messiah in their life. And what we're discovering is that when a group of common people decide to have uncommon devotion they become a radiant people of God throughout the land. And that's what we're after. We want to be people in pursuit of Jesus in a way that allows his radiance, his life, his joy, his presence, his spirit to, to fill us and overfill us in our lives. And last week we saw how uh, Peter and John were on their way to prayer in Acts 3 and they saw a lame man prayed with him. He was miraculously healed and that got them into some hot, hot water. The religious people, the leaders, the elders in the community, in the town, in the synagogue did not like that they were proclaiming that Jesus raised from the dead and that resurrection life is available to all who place their allegiance and loyalty in this man Jesus and follow him. It was creating some, some disruptions to the order of the norm. And they were beginning to see God do some really tremendous things. And so in Acts chapter 4, where we're going to be today, you're going to find that Peter and John, are, they, they stood before the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders. They spent some time in jail. And then they threatened Peter and John, stop preaching the name of Jesus. Don't do it anymore. Go do something. Go back to fishing and stay silent on this issue. And Peter and John replied, um, do you want us to obey you or obey God? It's like a mic drop moment right there. And they were like, well, we don't want you to preach Jesus. And if you do, and they made some more threats and then eventually sent them on their way. And what we see here in Acts chapter 4 is that persecution was beginning to surface towards the people of God. And what do they do in response to that pressure, to that persecution, to the suffering that was coming their way? What did they do in response? And that's what I want us to look at today. And so Acts chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 23 and read through verse 31, but you can go back this week and read all of chapter 4 and see the full context. This is what it says, Acts 4, starting in verse 23. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together 
in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth. If you have a paper Bible, a printed copy of scripture, highlight and underline that phrase. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth. The sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, now they're recalling a prophetic thing that David declared. Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power and many miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. I want to talk to you today on the subject of being devoted, not disappointed. Being devoted, not disappointed. Uh, we want to cultivate this devotion to the Lord. I, I love that it, that it ends, uh, that we get to see a little peek into how they prayed. We get to hear how they pursued and postured their hearts towards God. We, we get to see here what happens in that moment where there was unity and the power of God shows up and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again. I love that because I believe that walking with the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time baptism, but it's an ongoing, everyday necessity of being filled again and again with the person of the Spirit and the life of God in us. This morning before my feet hit the floor, I rolled over and I just simply whispered a prayer, come, Holy Spirit, come. Just welcoming the work of the Spirit in my life afresh. And every time we gather together, we, we posture our hearts in a desire to be filled again with the Spirit because without the work of the Spirit, we will fall short of God's purposes and plans in our lives. We'll, we'll quit and we'll give up. And when persecution comes, we will cut and run. We will respond with toxic attitudes rather than the fruit of the Holy Spirit. One of the things Jesus promised his, his followers, then and now, is that in this world, you will have trouble. You will be persecuted. You will walk through suffering. You will be disappointed in life. And you will find yourself discouraged and wanting to quit that there is pain that's coming, that you're going to experience things in your life that you wish you never happened. Now, here in America, we are blessed 
with the opportunity to gather and find freedom and worship, and we have expression of many great things, but that is not the case for the people of God around the world. In fact, even to this day, much persecution is occurring where people are literally putting their life on the line. Their life, I'm not talking about getting canceled from Facebook. I'm talking about dying. Like their life is on the line to pursue Jesus and be devoted to him. That they are risking the life and their livelihood of their family just to gather together and read the scriptures. Because it is holy to them. It is devoted to them. There is something of holy awe and reverence in their lives. And while I do believe that over the last several years in America, we have seen a rise of antagonism toward the people of God. Where, where there's some, some things in our world that, man, it's, it's not always easy and convenient and life isn't always up and to the right when we follow God. That, that there's a cost. We, we said earlier in this collection that if you're going to be devoted to Jesus, it's going to cost you some things. It's not a convenience issue. It's a willingness to consecrate and say yes no matter what issue. That we're going to live with integrity and live according to the ways of God, even though the world is telling you to live another way. That we're going to live in a way that says we're going to be honest and honorable towards all people and, and not dishonoring towards other people. That we want to bring glory to God and not, dis, um, not bring shame on the name of the Lord. That we want to represent him well. We want to be radiant people, not radioactive. And it is true that even though the pressure... And some of the antagonism toward the people of God on a rise in our nation, I think sometimes we don't help the cause at all by how we respond. Like, like instead of uh, living, as Proverbs says, as people who recognize that a soft answer turns away wrath, we just crank up the wrath and return it with some more sarcasm. Not sure that's a good idea. That's not helping the cause of our lives. But be, be really, really clear today, friends. While I do believe that it's going to continue to be more challenging, that there are going to be more storms and suffering, and, and it may become a disadvantage for us to continue to gather and to serve and to be generous, and those things may shift and occur in our world. I want us to be people who respond with a greater sense of devotion, not less sense of devotion to Jesus, regardless of our social circumstances in our world. Jesus said, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. But, but take heart. There's something that we can anchor to. Now, when I, when I talk about persecution, I am not talking about first world problems that often ruin our day. Right, let's take a look at some of these. This, I am not talking about uh, that your pockets aren't big enough for your new iPhone. That's a first world problem, friends. Right, like, when we talk about trouble and persecution, I'm not talking about this next one, that, that you can't take the crust off your Pop-Tart because it's too hot right now. Woe is you, Job. Oh, my gosh. That's not, we're, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that when you go to eat a mini Twix that you can't tell which is the right Twix or the left Twix. And we all know the right Twix is the right Twix to eat. Like that's first world problem things. I, I'm not talking about that there isn't any food. There's just a bunch of ingredients to make food, said every teenager ever. 
I bought chips to have with dip and all the chips were crushed. This is my worst nightmare, friends. Drives me nuts. Don't fill the bag with three quarters air. Sorry, that's another subject. There's no recess in middle school. What are we going to do? Learn? Okay, next one. My go-to bathroom stall at work was out of order today. Oh, the inhumanity. I forgot to switch my phone to Wi-Fi when I got home, and I used all of my data. Call the ambulance. First world problems. My luxury SUV broke down, and I have to make my latte at home, and I'm all out of soy milk. I only have oat and almond. <clears throat> In-laws come to visit, but I ran out of air freshener and Prozac. Not me, babe. That's not, I would never say that. <laughs> never. Somebody else's family. <clears throat> that moment when you run out of things to watch on Netflix. Life is over the persecution. Like, friends, those are first world problems. That is not the pressure points of life. And oh, isn't it true, though, that those inconveniences tend to grow us to where our perspective is a little bit out of whack. I'm not saying that those things aren't annoying, because they are. The reality is that there are other points of pain that come in your life, other disappointments that show up. And when we get disappointed, may we not lose sight of our devotion. May we hold steady. And the early church that we see here in the text, they did something really, really fascinating. You know what they did when they got released and they were already threatened not to do this again and they were really beginning to feel the pressure from social expectation and they were really beginning to feel the persecution begin to come their way. What did they do? They gathered together and they prayed. Prayer is always the right first response of those with uncommon devotion to Jesus. And my pastor has always said that prayer is your first response, not your last resort. Prayer isn't about changing circumstances near as much as it is about changing our perspective as we commune with God. One of the dangers that the early church could have had here as they sought to pray was to think about their perspective of their problem rather than shift their perspective to God's view of their problem. What do they do? The first thing they say in their prayer is they affirm the perspective of heaven, that God is sovereign and reigning over man, that he is reigning over all, that he sends the darkness running out of the empty grave, that he is reigning over all. The first thing they do in their prayer is, oh, sovereign Lord. They shift their perspective from their personal opinions to the personhood of God. They, they shift from their, their momentary pain and discomfort to recognizing that God is greater and bigger and higher and stronger and that he is sovereign over all. 
Now, when I say this word sovereign, many things probably come to your mind. I want to read you a a definition. It's a bit long out of the Lexham Bible Dictionary that defines sovereignty in this way. This is the, the, the understanding of sovereignty that I want us to hold. It says this, that divine sovereignty of God is a central theme throughout the, throughout the Bible. That God delegates authority, establishes kings and kingdoms, and brings to ruin any king or kingdom that fail to submit to his authority. The Bible presents Yahweh as the creator God with a sovereign right to rule over creation. Yahweh is the great king over all the earth who reigns over nations. In Genesis 1, as God creates all things, he delegates authority such as by making greater and lesser lights to rule night and day by giving and by giving man dominion over creation. Now, I'm going to pause right here. This is what we've been talking about this summer when I taught the class Spiritual Beings. We were looking at the sovereign reign of God from a cosmic perspective. Tonight, we're wrapping up with our youth, their summer school session, where I'm teaching them these very things. This is the understanding that God, who is sovereign, created all, has authority over all things, that in the end, he is still going to hold account all those that he has delegated authority to. In other words, your life and my life is a stewardship and you and I are accountable to the sovereign king. And so is every unseen being creating evil and chaos in our world. It goes on to say that divine sovereignty is viewed both in the Old Testament and New Testament as God's all-encompassing rule. God's sovereignty is displayed in his divine kingship over Israel. He he rules over them, but he also judges all nations for rejecting him and for their worship of idols. Even foreign kings confess the ultimate sovereignty of the God of Israel. In the book of Daniel, both Nebuchadnezzar and Darius proclaim and acknowledge the enduring dominion of the God of Israel. In the New Testament, God's sovereignty is revealed through the presence of Christ who ushers in the kingdom and exercises his divine authority over all realms, seen and unseen, of creation. Friends, when you think about the sovereignty of God, I want you to think about his authority and the accountability that he holds. Sovereignty is about him as king. Sovereignty is a statement of right for the position of authority. And there are tensions in the scripture around this idea of God's sovereignty. There are tensions in the belief system known as Christianity where where it seems like there on one hand here is this truth, but on the other hand here's this other truth. And it seems like they are opposite, but they aren't meant to be in conflict. They are meant to create tension that you hold. And the more time you spend under the tension is more time that the strength of your faith is developed. There's an element of mystery involved in some of these deeper theological understandings. And that's okay. That's okay. Because there's some things that in this season, in this space, in this time, our perspective is limited. 
And that's why they started their praying by asking God and reminding themselves of God's sovereignty, which shifts their perspective past their minuscule ideas and preferences. It moves them past this moment that they're in to see the bigger picture at play in God's sovereignty. Charles Spurgeon says it like this, sin is sovereign until sovereign grace dethrones it. It seems like these tension of ideas. D.A. Carson, a theologian and Bible scholar, says it this way, trust in God's sovereign goodness is never an excuse for inactivity or indolence. In other words, just because God is sovereign doesn't mean that you aren't supposed to steward your part. There is a tension between the sovereignty of God and the stewardship that you and I play in this life. There's a tension that we have to hold. And in the midst of this tension, it's things like God is merciful. And on the other hand, he is just. It's the tension that God is holy And you're not. But his arms are open and he's approachable to whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. There there are tensions to these things that we hold in our lives. And and when we start talking about sovereignty, it's it's often that, that we automatically shift and go into wondering, especially if you've been around church for a little while, you begin to, to ask other theological questions like, what about predestination? What about election? What about God's foreknowledge? And, and often we intermix all of these things to be one and the same, and they are not one and the same. They are distinct, and they have different elements and characteristics of who God is for us. And I think that while I don't have time today to unpack all of those words and what they mean, that's like at least a two cup of coffee purchase on your part for me before I can really kind of get into some of that stuff. That's a bit of a longer conversation than we have time in this setting today. But can I just help us see something as it relates to to these things that these elements of predestination and election and foreknowledge and these other theological things that most of these words have to do with God's ultimate plan for redemption and his guaranteed will for renewal of all things. I want you to think on a macro level when you think about those terms, not necessarily as an individual as to what it means to you, because the Bible isn't about you. It's, it's for you, but it's not about you. The Bible is about God. In fact, the Bible is about God revealing his plan and character to humanity. The Bible reveals that there are two major storylines. If I could summarize all of the Bible, are you ready? I've done it before. I'll do it again. Two words, redemption and renewal. The Bible in all of its fullness is about the story of redemption that God started through the people of Israel and he fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And it's about his sovereign, predestined foreknowledge and plan to execute a full renewal of all of creation that he begins in partnership with his church and is complete when Christ returns. That is the macro understanding of what God is saying and what I believe the scripture is teaching on these subjects. And when we're talking specifically about the sovereignty of God, 
I think it's helpful for us to think about his authority and the accountability. God is sovereign. And you've probably heard when people talk about the sovereignty of God, you've probably heard them say, and he is in control of everything. That kind of messes with our head a little bit, as it should. But there is a difference in being in control and controlling. There is a difference between having supreme oversight and manipulating every detail. Let me kind of break it down into something maybe we can understand. There is some sovereign reign and authority that the president of the United States has. But he is not able to control everything that you say, do, and think. That's why there are laws to help govern man in the domain of the U.S. And where there is injustice done, we want to fight to see justice done. It's this act of justice. There, there's a, a macro. Let me give you another example. There is an element of authority that I have in this church. Because of the position that I'm in. I have some authority. But in that authority, I don't execute everything that happens in this church. But there is some oversight to it. I cannot control that if the door greeter eats a proper amount of breath mints before they give you a hug and say hello. That's some kind of evil sometimes coming out of people's mouths. I get it, but I can't control it. Are are you catching the, the macro and the micro elements of this? And while I think God's authority is absolute, he is sovereign and not, there is none higher than him. That doesn't mean that he's in the business of controlling every little thing that you do. And somewhere in there is this tension That we have to hold, especially in moments when the pressure cooker of life is building. When pain of losing a loved one is front and center. When the job is so incredibly frustrating, you just want to walk away and say no more. When parenting has you at your wit's end and you don't have the wisdom to do it. When the pain of disappointment is present, when the diagnosis shows up and you feel like there is no more hope, when the job that you've had for 20 years suddenly ends unexpectedly, there is pain, there is frustration, there is evil, there is suffering, there is all of these things in our lives. And when the pressure of life begins to mount, the proper thing to do is to point back to God in prayer and to come in a communing prayer and say, oh, sovereign Lord, you are bigger than this moment in my life. And your plan is bigger than this one moment in my life. And your renewal of all things is coming at some point and you reign over all that is seen and unseen. See, for the, for the early church and the apostles, especially Paul, he would say things like, you're not wrestling flesh and blood situations. It's actually principalities, powers, and rebellious, evil, chaotic spirit beings who are behind the scenes in the unseen realm creating chaos and evil in our world. And that's what you're wrestling against. That's the pressure that's coming your way. That's the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy every element of God's goodness in your life. 
And in prayer, we allow ourselves to shift to a different perspective in heaven. And in the moment of sitting with Jesus, we can come in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the disappointment, in the midst of just getting out of prison and being told, don't do it again. Saying, God, I want to remain faithful. And let me begin by just simply saying, oh, sovereign Lord. Oh, there's something about being able to see that. And and their perspective begins to shift from their problems to a biblical perspective of God's character. It's in prayer that they begin to shift their thoughts from the things of earth. In this moment, it's growing dim and they're fixing their eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith, as Philippians says. There's something that is happening in this moment of communing prayer where their perspective is being more biblical and beginning to be rooted in the character of God. Instead of looking at the problems that surround them, they're beginning to see the proper person of Jesus in the midst of them. That they're willing in this moment to raise a hallelujah even in the presence of their enemies. That's what they're doing. They're shifting the perspective from an earthly perspective to the perspective of heaven that God is sovereign and reigning over all these things. And as they begin to pray, they, 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 they recall the scriptures. Oh, remember the prophecy that David, our ancestor, prophesied long ago. I, I think that's the beauty of biblical prophecy is that it actually helps you have hindsight of 2020 to see God clearly and to have your faith renewed rather than have foresight to know exactly what's going to happen in the future. Biblical prophecy isn't so that you know everything that happens in the future. Biblical prophecy often is so that when you get to the future, you can look back and see God was with me and he is still sovereign. It actually is a point of building your faith, not a point of trying to figure out the puzzle that is the future. And if you're trying to look at the Bible for biblical prophecy to figure out the puzzle that is the future, stop. That's not the point. You're mishandling the word of truth. Instead, we want to posture our hearts to see, God, how are you at work? Where are you moving? Who are you? Oh, sovereign Lord, let me have a clarity around who God is. See, when you get a clarity around who God is, your perspective of your situation, it shifts because you're beginning to see Jesus more clearly. The second thing they do is not just get, get, get alignment with the, the reality and affirming the sovereignty of God, but the second thing they do is they ask for strength. They ask for strength. Why do they ask for strength? Because they want to persevere as stewards in their assignment. You have an assignment. I have an assignment. We all have assignments and roles in our lives. We all have things that that God is saying and doing in our lives. And because he is sovereign, we are accountable to him for our stewardship of the life that he's given to us. Of the faithful loyalty to him as king that we're living out in our day-to-day lives. We're accountable to that, friends. We stand before God on that level, friends. And here they are standing there and recognizing, God, we don't want to quit. 
we want to keep going. Would you give us the strength to stay obedient to fulfill the assignment? See, when you recognize the, the sovereignty of God, you can then ask for strength to steward your role in God's mission on the earth. And this is what they're asking. God, would you give us the strength to move forward? Because let's be honest, when the pressure cooker of life gets going and the steam starts to build, we want to bail, don't we? Oh, man, how many times during COVID did you want to quit? I quit counting. How many times when people begin to misunderstand what you mean, do you want to just quit altogether? How when when life's pressures and circumstances just mount in a way that just seems unfair and unreasonable, do we just want to bail and go back in another way? They didn't do that. They were asking God for strength because something happens when God's strength shows up. His spirit fills you in a way to continue to move forward in loyalty to Jesus in your assigned stewardship. That you can keep parenting the way he wants you to parent. You can still be a person of integrity in a job when everyone else is cheating and cutting corners. You can remain a person who treats people right when everyone else around you is treating them wrong. You can study and and show yourself approved as a student even though every other classmate knows how to cheat and is trying to help you take the cheating way out. You have the ability to remain faithful and steward your finances when everyone else is telling you to do one thing, you're listening to God and doing something different. You can wake up in the morning, even though the routine is crazy with school and this and that, and say, God, I'm going to seek first you and your kingdom. There's a strength that comes that God is wanting to give us, and we often want to quit, but we often quit right before the breakthrough. We often quit right before the strength shows up. You know, in endurance running, and I do not consider myself an endurance runner. Like, I hit the two-mile mark, and I'm like, peace, I'm going to go find some pizza. Like, that's, that's like my, mo- like, I'm done right there. But in endurance running, your mind will try to convince you that it's time to stop. But it's at that moment that if you will push past the desire to quit, that's when you develop endurance in your life. That's when you develop endurance as you run. This is what James chapter 1 is trying to communicate to us. Can we go to James chapter 1? James chapter 1, let's look at verse 2. So if you're in your paper Bible, just kind of flip to the right. If you get to the book of Revelation, you went too far, go back left. James, it's one of the the latter books in the New Testament. James chapter 1, Let's start in verse 2. Are you there in verse 2? Are you there in verse 2? Yes or yes? Okay, good. I'm just making sure that you're with me. I know it's a little warm in here. I'm trying to keep it lively and exciting. Can I get a hearty amen? Amen. All right, very good. Here we go. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, says this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, any kind of trouble, when it comes your way, consider it an opportunity to quit Sorry. Hold on, let me wipe my eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah. For when that happens, consider it an opportunity to tell everybody about it on Facebook. 
When trouble of any kind comes your way, consider an opportunity to scheme the right way to pay them back. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Like, why do they got to put the word great in there? Couldn't we have, like, mediocre joy? Like, okay, I'm going to grit through it. I'm smiling on the inside, but I'm cursing on the inside. Like, I, like great joy. Consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, when the pressure is on, it's being tested, the stress test of your faith. When the pressure of life squeezes you, you will, your endurance will have a chance to grow. In other words, there is no other way for your endurance and the strength of your faith to grow other than for you to find the pressure of life. It is possible to go through the test and not grow your endurance though. Here's the... Good news. Eh, here's the news. When you don't pass the test, you'll get an opportunity to do it again, though. Which is both God's graciousness because he wants to see you develop real faith. Faith that lasts, faith that endures, faith that goes on until he returns. That kind of faith. Faith that allows you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling until the day of the Lord shows up. Faith that allows you to keep developing and growing your loyalty in Jesus rather than your loyalty with the world and the things of this world. It's such his graciousness to allow us to take it again. But I'd really rather pass it the first time, friends. Like, just like this one time, that's all. Just, I'm good now. So you has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And if you need wisdom, when the pain and the crucible of life is crushing you and you don't know what to do, God will. You, you can ask God for wisdom, he says. And he will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone, not in your own self. Do not waver for a person with divided Loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything that they do. When the pressure of life comes, listen, friends, and you feel unsettled in life, and you're unsure in life, and you're just, I just, I'm this here, and here's this, and I don't know about this, and I don't feel like this, and I want to quit, and I want to walk away, and all of those things, there's an indication that your loyalty might be divided. And it's giving you an opportunity to reaffirm where your loyalty is going. And may our loyalty be in Christ alone, the cornerstone. May it be, be in him we are found. 
that all the world around us might be sinking sand and a wave tossed back and forth and chaos ensuing. But may our eyes be fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. May we be people who say, oh, sovereign Lord, you are king and ruler and this has not caught you off guard. And this pain in this moment is but a momentary blip on the radar of eternity. And may I be loyal to be faithful to you. May I not lose my integrity for a moment of pleasure. May I not lose my faith because I'm shaken by the world around me. May I put a guard over my eyes, over my ears, over my mouth, and over my heart, O Lord, that I might be found pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my redeemer. Lord, may I say yes, even if it leads to death. May the loyalty of my heart be in Jesus alone. Friends, when pressure comes, remind yourself of his sovereignty and ask him for strength. Strength to endure. Strength to be a good steward. This is what they did. They just simply said, Lord, would you intervene? Lord, would you stretch out your hand in our direction? And continue your good work, O oh Lord. Notice what they didn't pray. They didn't pray, O oh Lord, would you stretch out your strong hand and crush them? O oh Lord, would you embarrass them so they realize how silly they are? They didn't even say, Lord, would you change our circumstance? Lord, would you help me escape? No, Lord, would you strengthen me so that we can keep obeying and preaching your word with boldness, living lives of courageous loyalty to you, our King, and to no other allegiance, O oh Lord? And Lord, would you give us the strength to stand and would you stretch out your arm and intervene and continue to bring glory to your name? In other words, God, would your kingdom continue to come? Would your will continue to be done? Would people begin to see that you are God and we are not? Would people begin to see Christ, Luke, crucified, risen and reigning and ruling and in all authority? God, would you be glorified even in our trouble? Would people see you I have to kill my comfort, Lord. May they see you, Christ, instead. Oh, sovereign Lord, help me have the right perspective of my pain and problem. Help me not get disappointed, but rather, Lord, would you give me the strength to be devoted until the end, until it changes. Help me not stop praying for people to find faith in you. Help me not stop praying for my kids to come back to find you, Jesus. Help me not stop praying until my, my, my spouse's heart comes to know you. God, help, help me still stay faithful and say yes, even though the priorities and the pressures and the, and the things of this life are crushing me. God, help me stay faithful. Friends, when we remain obedient... We can leave the results to him. Our job is just to remain loyal and faithful, to keep the right perspective of heaven, and to keep walking in the strength of his spirit in and through our lives. Would you stand?
just bow your heads for a second? Take a couple deep breaths. Just begin to reflect on the word of God today. Where are you struggling right now? Are, are there pressure points in your life that's trying to just suffocate the life of the spirit out of your life? To distract you beyond all distraction? Is there an area where you have lost sight of God's sovereignty and you think it's all up to you to fix something? Where is it that you feel weak and you want to quit? Where do you need the strength of the Spirit of God to come and allow you to keep moving forward in obedience? Where do you need to see God stretch out his hand and intervene in a way that he gets all the glory? Lord, today we want to posture our hearts and declare that you reign above it all. Lord, you reign above it all over the universe and over everything. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. Lord, would you help us to be faithful? Would you strengthen us as we stand with one another, as we study your word, as we seek you in prayer? Would you strengthen us so that we can walk forward in the power and might, being faithful to you, Jesus, being loyal and our devotion. Lord, I pray that you would just bring peace to those hearts today that have been waffling and wavering and struggling and suffocating and just ready to give up. Lord, would this be the thing that helps encourage them to keep going, to push past it and endure in their faith, Lord? Lord would you just move in our hearts and our lives. Lord, we receive your grace today. Fresh filling of your spirit today. And we just say, come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.